right, so for those of you who've not been here when I've preached before, it's been a little while, um, so let me give you a little primer on, on me and my preaching. I am a Baptist preacher. I'm born and raised Baptist. I am more Baptist than I'm anything else. Um, I'm also, if you didn't notice, I'm also a black Baptist preacher. And so, so that, 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 that means I need a little bit of feedback when I'm preaching. Like, I'm not going to be thrown off, I promise you. If you say amen in the midst of the sermon, it's going to be okay. Um, so feel free. Amen? Oh, good. Yes. Fast learners. And for those of you who've been here before, feel free to bring all the others along as well. We're so excited. So, so good to be here. Certainly give honor to God for this opportunity to be here today. Um, I want to thank Pastor Matt Hurd for inviting me to come. I'm grateful for this opportunity. And I'm grateful for you, Northland. It's been, it's been a minute, but it's been good. It's good, 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 good to see you and to, to be, be amongst the people who are Northland. Um, my wife, Camelia, as Kevin mentioned, and my children are here, so grateful to God for them. And folks from my house church are here. My brother and his wife are here, too. And so it's just a big family gathering. We're just glad, glad to be here. Um, we're going to pray, and before we uh, say much more, I do want to acknowledge, we want to acknowledge um, the, tragedy, the tragedies that have happened over the last 24 hours um, the tragic shootings that happened in El Paso, or shooting that happened in El Paso, many lives were lost and many people were injured. And then early this morning, there was another shooting in Dayton, Ohio. Um, and so uh, we certainly want to pray about that. We want to pray that God would move in those communities and give them strength and help us all to be better. And then we're going to be praying also that God would open our hearts and our minds for this message today. Amen? Amen. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. God. You are a God who is in control of all of it. Even when the world seems completely out of control, you are a God who's in control. You're a God who is strong and able and powerful. And we need you to be that kind of God right now. We need you to be the kind of God that's not caught off guard because so often we're caught off guard. We need, to be the, we need you to be the kind of God that does not get frustrated because so often we get frustrated. God, would you move in the lives of the people in El Paso and the people in Dayton, Ohio? Would you bring healing to the broken hearts? Lord God, our hearts are broken. Our hearts ache as we consider the tragedy, the evil that has reared its ugly head even in those two cities. Lord God, we don't have to think back far to a time when we here in Orlando was, were affected in a similar kind of way. And so Lord God, not only can we sympathize, but we empathize with those in Texas and in Ohio. And I pray, Lord God, that you would show yourself strong I pray that you would show yourself to be God, even in the midst of this situation. I pray, Lord God, that even in the midst of this situation, Lord God, hearts would be turned to you. I pray, Lord God, that you would do that for your namesake. And now, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds today as we seek to hear your word. I pray, dear God, that you would hide me behind your cross, that only your word would come forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
the most significant question, the most pressing question, the most important substantive question in the Gospels is who is Jesus? There's no question more germane in the Gospels than who is Jesus? Over and over again, that question arises. Jesus was in a boat with some fishermen and a great storm arose and Jesus changes the meteorological circumstances in a moment with his words. And the men on the boat exclaim and question, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. He was back in his hometown teaching and preaching and his teaching and preaching caused such a stir that the local folks questioned, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Who is this? While on a retreat in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus was reviewing the polling data, if you will, with his disciples. And he questioned, who do people say that the Son of Man is? But as is Jesus' way, he wasn't as concerned about the people out there as much as the people right here. So he says, yeah, yeah, that's what they say, but I want to know, who do you say that I am? Even before his crucifixion, this question of his identity arose. Pilate, the governor that was presiding over his trial, asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Over and over throughout the Gospels, the question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And we must ask ourselves, if the Gospels repeat this question so many times, do we know who he is? Because we'd better know who he is. The truth is, is that many people don't know or don't remember who he is. Unfortunately, there are some, many even, that have not come to know him as Savior. To many of them, he is just a myth. He is a legend. Maybe he was a good teacher, but nothing more. They don't recognize him as the son of the living God. They don't recognize him as the eternal word who was at the beginning with God, as John chapter 1 verse 1 tells us. But not just them. There are even some of us who knew at one time but have since forgotten. Some of us were born and raised in church. And if you don't remember, that's my story. From six weeks on, I was born and raised in church. As long as I can remember, I knew and understood that Jesus was more than just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. I knew that he was the savior of the world. But some of us have forgotten. But maybe you're not like me. Maybe you weren't born and raised in church. 
Maybe you remember the moment when you walked down the aisle and gave the preacher your hand and Jesus your heart. Maybe you remember where you were that moment when the preacher was preaching and it felt like you were the only one in the room and he was talking right to you. It was as if he had been at your dinner table the night before. He said things that only God could have told him. You remember that. You remember that moment. But even for us who remember those moments, we can forget who he is. Whether we've been walking with the Lord for a week, a year, or several years, we can forget and we can bear some reminding of who Jesus is. And it's a big deal if we don't know or remember who he is. If you don't know who Jesus is, you have forfeited the gift of salvation. You've forfeited the gift of eternal life. If you don't know who he is, you are forfeiting a relationship with the God of the universe. And when we don't remember who he is, we forfeit a joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. We forfeit a peace that surpasses all understanding. When we forget who Jesus is, we forfeit a hope that withstands the darkest nights of our souls. When we forget who Jesus is, we forfeit a purpose and a direction that makes our lives worth living. It's important that everybody knows and everybody remembers who Jesus is. Amen? We all need to know, all of us need to know and remember who he is. And it's not just me, this preacher on the stage, telling you it's important to know who Jesus is. God wants all of us to know. He wants me and you and everybody to know who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, he has gone out of his way to ensure that we know who Jesus is. In this fifth chapter of John, God provides for us four witnesses to the truth of who Jesus is. We will see that God communicates to us through our ears, our eyes, our hearts, and our mind who Jesus is. So to set the context for this message, let's take a look at John chapter 5, verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Or to place it in the context of the beginning of this message, who is this? Who dare tell you? Who is this Jesus that he told you to take up your bed and walk? So the religious leaders are upset with Jesus as per usual, but they're upset with him in this case because he healed a man on the Sabbath and then told that man to take up his bed and walk. By picking up his bed and carrying his bed, the man, the man was working. 
and you don't work on the Sabbath. So he was breaking the religious law. And so they wanted to know, who told you to break that law? They finally catch up with Jesus. Jesus responds to their concern by referencing his special relationship with God. The religious leaders correctly understand Jesus to be claiming equality with God, and they are predictably upset. There is only one God, and if Jesus is claiming equality with God, then Jesus is saying that he, Jesus, is God. Who does he think he is, is their question. So to respond to their question, to respond to their challenge, Jesus calls witnesses to the stand. Let's take a look at chapter 5, verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. So first of all, Jesus acknowledges that if he talks about who he is himself, that testimony won't hold any water with the religious leaders. So instead he calls his first witness. His witness is John the Baptist. Now something you need to understand about John the Baptist is that he is an extremely credible witness. There's no one more credible than John the Baptist in those days. Why do I say that? Because John the Baptist was so committed to the kingdom of God and to the message of the kingdom that he went and left his family, went out to the wilderness, dressed in animal skins, ate a very strange diet, preached the kingdom of God, and baptized people, calling them to repentance. John was an extremely, extremely credible witness. Well, what did John say about Jesus? In the first chapter of the same gospel, verses 29 through 30, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. So John the Baptist, right in that passage, is indicating that Jesus not only ranks before John, but came before John. If you know the birth narrative of Jesus and John the Baptist, you would know that John was born first. Elizabeth gave birth to John before Mary gave birth to Jesus. But John understands that Jesus' existence is an eternal existence and predates even John the Baptist himself. That's our first witness. And Jesus makes it clear that he does not even consider this to be his strongest witness. Look at verse 34 of chapter 5. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things, why? So that you may be saved. 
This is super important. John the Baptist, his testimony on behalf of Jesus is considered by Jesus not to be significant for Jesus' sake, but significant for the people's sake. Jesus says, so that you might be saved. What we need to understand is that the power of human witness is the vehicle that God uses to bring salvation. The power of human witness is the vehicle that God uses to bring salvation. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 14. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have never heard, never believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear what? Without someone preaching. In other words, if people are to be saved, they need to hear the message. And that's why it's so important for us to be witnesses for Jesus with our mouths. If we are hoping that people will stumble into salvation accidentally, we are not paying attention to the, what the Scripture teaches. If we are hoping that people will be able just to look at our life and the way that we live, upstanding citizen, treats his family well, works hard, if we think that simply by being a good citizen, we're going to be able to communicate to people their need for Jesus, we're mistaken. Why? Because someone watching your life will not, from watching your life, learn that God created the heavens and the earth, and the world was in trouble and needed to be saved, and God sent His only begotten Son to live on the earth and to walk a perfect life before us. As a substitution for us, He died on a cross and was buried in a grave, and on the third day, He was raised again. And without that being said, how would anyone know they need that? We must be witnesses of who Jesus is with our mouths. We cannot trust that people will simply stumble in to salvation. Why? Because God wants everyone to know who Jesus is. And the great thing is we, we get to be part of that discovery process, but we have to be willing to open our mouths and testify. Jesus excuses his first witness from the stand and calls his second witness. Verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. His works are a witness. His miracles are a witness to his true identity. Earlier in this chapter, when Jesus heals the lame man, that work was a witness to his true identity. When he healed the official son earlier in the book of John, without even traveling all the way to the house, but by just saying the word, he will be well, that work was a witness to his true identity. When he turned the water into wine at, the, at Cana of Galilee wedding, that work was a witness to his true identity. 
Every time he opened the blind's eyes to see, that work is a witness to his true identity. When he raises the dead, that work is a witness to his true identity. The work of Christ is a witness to his true identity. When he forgave the sins of people right there on the spot, that work was a witness to his true identity. Check this out. When Jesus does anything that only God can do, <laughs> that work is a witness to his true identity. And we need to point people to Jesus when we see miracles. When the scans had previously said cancer, but all of a sudden there's no cancer there, we need to give Jesus the credit and not chalk it up to spontaneous remission. When the marriage that was broken badly and broken beyond repair is healed and stronger than ever, let's give Jesus the credit. When you are in a car accident that totals the car, mangles the car, and you walk away without a scratch, let's give Jesus the credit for preserving your life. When Jesus does something that only God can do, that's a miracle, and we need to give him that credit. I don't know about you, but I've been in a hospital room with someone who was told by the doctors, you just have a few weeks or months to live. I've heard the prognosis. I've heard the statements that say all of her systems are shutting down. It's just a matter of time. I've been in that room, and I've prayed with that person, and I've seen Jesus heal. I've seen Jesus raise her up and cause her to walk on. I've seen it. And when that happens, we must give Jesus the credit. We cannot be in the business of making excuses for why something good happened and taking that away from Christ. Why? Because those miracles, that work is a witness to his true identity. If we want people to know who Jesus is, we've got to be willing to testify for him and willing to point them to the miracles and say, that's Jesus at work. And he excuses his second witness and calls his third, verses 37 through 38. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. All right, wait a minute. Before we get to the testimony of this third witness, did you notice that what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to call a witness that you're not going to understand? That's what he says. He says, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. I'm going to call to the stand a witness that completely goes over your head. And I had to wonder as I was preparing and praying, like, God, why would you send a witness that can only be understood by those with spiritual discernment? And the answer I heard God say back to me is, because those with spiritual discernment need to remember who I am. 
What I'm saying to you is that this third witness, and in fact the fourth witness, these witnesses are for those of us who are on this side of salvation. These witnesses are for those of us who have spiritual discernment. For those of us who are part of the family. These witnesses are for us. Well, let's get to the witness. The witness is God himself. He says, his voice you have never heard. You might remember at Jesus' baptism, there was what sounded to some like thunder, but to others, they heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased. And then it happened again at the transfiguration. Jesus is changed in his figure before the disciples. And God speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. But not only does God witness to who Jesus is in his baptism and in his transfiguration 2,000 years ago, but God speaks to us, those of us who have tasted salvation, there is a certain knowing we have in our heart about who Jesus is. And it's a truth that was planted there by God. And it comes with a certainty of who he is. It's the kind of certainty that makes us say things like, I know that I know that I know that I know that Jesus is. I know that I know. I, I can't explain it to you. I just know. And what I want to say to you is when people ask you, how can you be so sure? When you say, I just know, that's legit. That's okay. Why? Because God has planted that in my heart. I can't explain in words how I know, but I know that Jesus is. And the third witness is excused and on to the fourth witness, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Mm. Jesus is helping the people to understand, and again, this is something that is only understood by those with spiritual discernment. But Jesus is helping them understand, if you think you understand scripture, but you don't get me, you don't get Jesus, then you don't understand Scripture. Because all of Scripture, now for them it would have been effectively the Old Testament, all of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. Even before he was born of Mary in Bethlehem, he is all through the Old Testament. In Genesis, he is the animal that was killed so that Adam and Eve could have clothes. In Exodus, when Moses and the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, he is the Passover lamb that was slain, and the blood of that lamb was placed on the doorposts of their homes so that the angel of death would pass over their homes. In Leviticus, in Leviticus, he is every blood sacrifice that's mentioned and described therein. In Numbers and Deuteronomy, he is a pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night that leads the children of Israel to the promised land. 
in Joshua. He is the commander of the Lord's army that goes before and fights the battle before they even get there. In the books of history, he is Ruth's kinsman redeemer and the king who will establish the throne of David forever. In the books of poetry, he is David's shepherd and Solomon's bridegroom. In the prophets, he is Hosea's door of hope and Isaiah's suffering servant and our promised Messiah. That's who he is. And that's what the scripture says about who he is. All of scripture is pointing to Jesus. So now, if Jesus is who these witnesses say he is, if these four witnesses are true, then that means that Jesus is God and he has authority over our lives. He has a say over how we work, how we study, how we play, how we live, how we raise our family. He has a say, he's the boss. The statement that Jesus is Lord is not merely about his nature. It's not merely about whether or not he's 100% God and 100% man and how do you figure that out, which we spent a lot of time in seminary trying to discuss. But the truth of the matter is, is that the statement Jesus is Lord is not a statement as much about nature as it is a statement about relationship. It's a statement about his reign and his rule in our lives. It's a statement that simply says, he is boss. He demands our allegiance. Not my socioeconomic class, not my race, not my political affiliation. Jesus demands allegiance from us. I appreciate Melissa Sylvia's testimony, the video that we watched earlier. Because one of the things she communicates, and she doesn't say it exactly this way, but basically what she says is, I had a plan. I was going to become a traveling therapist. I was going to do that. But God had a different plan. And because of God's plan, I put my plan to the side. That's what it looks like when Jesus is boss. I might have a plan. But when it becomes clear to me that God has a plan different than mine, I say, yes, sir. And I salute and I'll go with God's plan. You know, just when you think you get your head around and understand who Jesus is, I want to let you know that there's even more. That he's not just a baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. There's more than that. He's not just a man that walked the dusty roads of Palestine doing good things and healing the sick. There's more than that. He's the one who took my sin and took your sin and went to a cross and died. And my sin remains nailed to that cross and I am free from it. He is the one that freed me from my sin. But there's more than that. There's more than what he did 2,000 years ago. When I am sick and can't remember what it feels like to be well, he's my healer. When I'm in trouble and need someone to fight for me, he's my advocate that goes to the mat for me. 
When my friends and my family forsake me, he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When my family is hungry and we don't know how we're going to make ends meet, he is my provider. But there's even more than that. When I am weak, he doesn't just make me strong. Jesus is my strength. When all seems to be lost, he doesn't just give me hope. He is my hope. When everything around me is disordered and in chaos, he doesn't just give me peace. What? He is my peace. When I'm down and out and can't find anything to smile about, he is my joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. When I don't know which way to turn, which way to go, he doesn't just give me direction, he is the way. When I don't know what to believe, he doesn't just tell me truth, he is the truth. When I feel empty inside and dead inside, he is life. Jesus is all the world to me. Everything I need, everything I want, everything I could ever ask for, that's who he is. And just when I think I figured him out, there's even more. <laughs> And that is what he is to me. Jesus is more. Amen. 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 Would you stand with us? Would you stand with us? I want us to take a few moments and pray. Perhaps there's someone here and today is the first day that you've come to a place where you're willing to get to know him. You want to get to know him. I want to pray for you. If you're here and you've been walking with him for a few weeks, months, or several years, I want to pray for you that you would remember who he is. In those parts of your life where maybe you've forgotten, maybe it's in the areas of you raising your family or the area of work or the area of your finances, you've forgotten that he is God and he gets a say. I want to pray for all of us in those kind of ways. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. God, you have given us the greatest gift. You've given us Jesus and he is more than enough. I thank you, Lord God, that today there's someone here who wants to get to know him. There's someone here who wants to get to know him. There's someone here who wants to remember who he is. I come praying for that one even right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that, that even after this service, Lord God, at the conclusion of the service, that they would come forward to those who will be standing up here ready to pray, that they'll simply say to them, I want to know him. I want to know him better. I want to remember who he is. I pray, Lord God, you would have your way in this place, among us, in Jesus' name.